Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Mark O'Donnell. He is the visionary, also known as CEO of EOS Worldwide. Thank you for being on the show today, guy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ron. You know, usually I start off with the bios and like kind of hot origin stories and how you get started and that type of stuff. But your team sent over something really cool about a story about you climbing a mountain. So let's start off with an interesting story and then we'll tie it into kind of who you are and what you're doing. So tell us about, was it climbing, which mountain it was? Mount Whitney. That would be Mount Whitney, which is the highest peak in the lower 48 states in the United States. It's about 15,000 feet or so. And so September of 2021, my leadership team or three, two members of my leadership team and members of our portfolio that were owned by a small private equity firm out of Indianapolis called Firefly. And so the portfolio leaders and our private equity partners decided that we're going to climb this mountain together. And so David Mann, who's the, the chairman, it was his idea. So I'm going to blame him and he can yell at me for this later, I'm sure. And so we trained for six months and in September of 21, we made our, our climb. And so very few people finish Mount Whitney and we didn't really know that only, I think it's about a third of the people who embark on the summit make it. And for lots of different reasons, weather and ice and darkness, cause you don't really want to be up there in the dark and it's a one day adventure. And so we went up there and about 10,000 feet, my EOS integrator, Kelly Knight, she started to feel like she had a little bit of a migraine and we are driven entrepreneurial group of people, right? And there. We saw the warnings of altitude sickness, but we're like, well, that's not it. This is just a little migraine. My, my headlamp was on too tight or something. So we get to the top and by the time we got to the top, which was hard enough for her and we thought it's just altitude or maybe it was conditioning. We didn't really know. By the time we summited, we knew she had altitude sickness and there was, we had to figure out how to get down. So we started our descent <clears throat> and what ended up happening is I want to say around 12,000 feet, she started passing out and Ooh. clearly wasn't going to make it. I mean, there was one point in time where she was going on her own power and she was right behind me. We sort of sandwiched her between two of us and I looked back and she had her hiking poles and there was about 1500 sheer drop on both sides of her. 
and she was wobbling back and forth. And I said, okay, enough is enough. Give me your hiking poles. And so I just sort of put her on my backpack and we started dragging her down the mountain. There's only two places to, to get a helicopter to. So what ended up happening to kind of cut the long story a little bit shorter is that there's only two places to land a helicopter and it was getting dark and it was getting cold. We expected to be down and back in around 14 hours. And so none of us had winter gear. It was around 30 degrees or so, which at that altitude, a helicopter at that temperature can't has a tough time getting up there. So we ended up having a GPS text messaging device that had SOS from Garmin. So we pushed that button and we're in communication back and forth with emergency services. And they were a little hesitant because seven days prior, one of their helicopters crashed going lower than we were. And so th it, they were just sort of hesitant. And so California Highway Patrol ended up getting us at just under 10,000 feet and which was all of us, there's seven of us or so. We're like, hey, how do we get down? Cause now it's dark and they're like, well, we can only take one in the helicopter. So that you're on your own for the rest. I happen to have the GPS because my wife made me buy it. And because I trained in the Appalachian mountains in Pennsylvania. And so I was really the only one who trained everyone else from the Midwest and cornfields are not really great mountain training. And so I happen to have this device that ultimately saved her life it was, uh, an adventure to behold lessons in leadership for sure. Wow. And that's kind of a reverse bio, like how you got started. You're on top of a mountain. Let's go, go back in time and figure out like, how did you get involved with the U S when did you first kind of learn about it? And how do you ascend from learning about it? I guess you were an implementer at some point too. And then you end up being this, the visionary, which is what EOS calls a CEO, right? Yep. So I had about nine companies that were all in pharma and biotech. So my brother and myself and a couple of business partners, we created a vertically integrated pharma and biotech services business. And we had nine companies, a laboratory engineering company, everything. Our whole strategy was anything that a pharma company buys. We wanted to have a, another company that had that offering. And we were really succeeding in spite of ourselves, growing really fast. And one of my business partners just said, hey, Mark, there's got to be a way to run these companies as if they're one company and not have all the confusion. So I set out to find a system that would fulfill that need. And so we can have a sense of control over the business and really build value over time and, and have this common language as well. Common language is such a huge thing throughout an organization especially if you're geographically dispersed. We were all over the country, coast to coast in UK and Ireland. And so we just needed a way to harmoniously run these companies and intentionally create value. I started implementing a different system, figured out that it was too hard and complex to get all buy-in from every member of my team. And so Red Traction, I signed up for EOS bootcamp thinking that, oh, this will help me implement EOS in my companies better, not knowing it was about becoming an implementer. And then I met a implementer named Jonathan Smith at the Pentagon, having lunch with a three-star general. <laughs> wow. And he was like, Hey, you ever hear of EOS? And I'm like, nope, but I didn't connect EOS with traction at the time. Right. So we got talking and I became an implementer. I hired him as 
my implementer ended up exiting those companies in 2018, but I came, I became a full-time implementer in 2015, became a coach, then head coach at EOS worldwide. And eventually in September, 2020 stepped into the role of visionary here. And it's been absolutely a blast helping companies get more of what they want from their businesses and seeing all the impact and victories that they all have is just gratifying in every way. It's interesting is the, the book pulled the first book traction, or I don't remember which one the first one is now. <laughs> that is the first one. Okay. As I'm looking at rocket fuel, it's actually on my desk here, but I was like, that's not the first one. It was traction. Rocket fuel is the implementation book. I had noticed something in the entrepreneur space. I've been an entrepreneur for a while and I had a process or a, not process. We're only for, I had a problem in the entrepreneur space. I would buy companies or build something buy small websites and stuff, build them into a company, buy equipment, start a company. And I would grow that company and get right at that high six figures about to cross the seven figures and profit margin, profit, even a type of space, and then get burned out and crash and burn, sell the damn thing and do something else. <laughs> One of the things I noticed was after about the second or third time, it's like, wait, there's something there. And so I started looking at all the businesses I really liked that are past that phase and they're doing something. What I noticed is they had, I know what it's called now. The book have actually helped me figure it out. If you took their test, I'm extremely visionary like 90%, I'm way stuck on that side. And we were talking about the book and what I noticed was, is that people who were past that level, past that seven, eight figure mark, I can identify in their company, somebody who was great at implementing, somebody, what you guys call an integrator, right? An mm -hmm. implementer, yep. getting mixed up. Integrator. <laughs> integrator. So yeah. I'm so far on the visionary side, I never paired myself with somebody that can, okay, that's a great idea, rein you back in. Let's mm -hmm. put, let's simply, let's put a system of process and set procedures into this. I did it when necessary, even when I, like, I used to run a tech company or the uh, technical divisions of companies as director of operations and stuff like that. I had to buy that job, but it was something forced of me. And in my natural entrepreneurial way, if I have to do something more than two or three times in a row, I want somebody else to do it. Like I want to do it the first time I want to conquer it. I want to solve the problem and then somebody else do it after the second, third, fourth time. Poor it helped me on that. Let's talk about EOS as a concept and we'll kind of just, I guess for the people that haven't heard about it, it's not, we're not going to make a whole show on what it is, but get them the high level of what EOS sure. is so that they can understand why we want to talk about why it's important to a small to medium-sized business. Yeah. So EOS stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's a complete set of real-world, simple, practical tools that helps those organizations do three things that we call vision, traction, and healthy. So vision from the standpoint of getting you and your leadership team 100% on the same page with your vision, where you're going and how you're going to get there. And then traction is simply creating all the disciplines and habits, all the accountability necessary to execute on every aspect of that vision. And finally, healthy is just creating really healthy, cohesive, and functional teams. And so we start with the leadership team. And it's everything that we talk about is in the book Traction by Gina Wickman. We get to the point where everyone in the organization is seeing the same thing. You're wanting the same thing. You're masters of execution and you're moving forward as a really healthy, cohesive and team, cohesive, fun-loving team. And so that's what EOS is and does in a nutshell. We, our tools are designed to systematically strengthen the six key components 
of the business. The vision component, the people component, the data component, issues, process, and finally traction. So there's tools that we're just looking at your business in this holistic way and that every issue that you experience can be traced right back to one of those six key components and you can use the tools to solve those issues systematically. And so that's what EOS is in a quick nutshell. Cool. We were talking about you had companies and the reason that you were stumbled across this or researched and located this is because you wanted a common way to communicate across multiple companies and a common system processes way to run them all. And it's important for our audience because we look at entrepreneurship through acquisitions. We buy the first company, but most of us spend our time as we own companies and how do we grow it through acquisition, right? When you acquire a, a second, a third, a fourth company, having a way to put them on a common playing ground, integrate them in and give them something. My goal here in, in this conversation is figure out how does EOS play inside of that? And I think because EOS is well known enough that people Google it and they've either, either they know what the book is and they've read it or they know what the book is, they haven't read it. But even if not, when you implement something that's a known system out there, I think there'll be less resistance to what's this new guy think he's trying to do to us. That's right. Yeah. We've sold over 2.4 million books. So a lot of people implementing these tools, just shy of 200,000 companies by our count are using these tools in their organizations. About 17,000 are working with an EOS implementer as opposed to integrator. Implementer is the coach, if you will. And they get results and this is proven stuff. And the other thing too to know about EOS is that it's built for the plumber next door, if you will. It's simple stuff. When I first read it, it was my first instinct was, this is every business book I've ever read with templates. And if you come from pharma or any regulated space, you got templates, like that's gold, right? And so that, that was my approach to it, our typical companies 10 to 250 people. That's really the sweet spot. And so we're, it's just simple, easy things, disciplines, tools that, that you can use right away that makes a difference. And so it's nothing fancy. <laughs> so what's the process look like? Uh, just run a scenario like somebody like our audience would be, they've acquired a company. It's not mm -hmm. on EOS. Everybody has some system of processes, even if it's all stories and fables from past generations, right? This is the way we've always done it kind of thing. That's what I call it when somebody goes, well, we don't have anything written down, but there's certain ways we do things. And I was like, okay, you guys sit around a campfire and tell stories like they did in the ice stages, or do you have something documented? There's something at all companies. It's, if you've been around for more than 10 years, you have a way you want things done. The owner has a way he wants things done. The trick is how well no is that documented? So when I say yeah. companies that don't have an operating system, None of the guys buy anything. None of the guys listen to our show buying a business should not be buying anything that doesn't have some systems and processes mm -hmm. because when the owner leaves, if you don't have something documented and you don't have any systems or processes and your key people leave, you're in trouble. No doubt. Yeah. And so W. Edwards Deming, he said that every system is perfectly designed to produce the results it produces. So every company has an operating system. The real question is, is it intentional? Did you... in craft it that system on purpose or is it around the campfire type things 
So what a typical company, if you were going in, let's say I'm going to go in and buy a company and with the, all the skill sets and knowledge around EOS, it really all starts with the leadership team. It's the three to eight people at the helm of the organization. You don't want to go and create a vision traction organizer, which is our two page strategic plan and go in a vacuum and fill the whole thing out and come to your team and say, Hey, we're going to go do this now. That's one of the worst things you can do. You can't shove it down people's throats. It'll never, never work. And so EOS is really about buy-in and crafting a world-class leadership team. So everything starts with them. And so you start with the book. You can just go to Barnes & Noble and grab one off the shelf. And there, it's literally an instruction manual on how to do this in your company. And so you sit with that team. We always start with traction first, vision second. And so what we often find is that companies, if you're buying one, you're coming in, you have this big idea, these big goals and visions for what the organization looks like. But the key thing is that you're missing the ability, the discipline to execute. And that's why 97% of strategic plans go unexecuted is because that team, that leadership team does not have the discipline and accountability to execute in a rhythm, in a weekly, quarterly, annual rhythm that's incrementally moving them towards executing every aspect of that vision. So we always start with traction first, and th that's really, really where I'd start. Create that accountability chart, roles and responsibilities, make sure everyone knows what they're doing. You got the right people in the right seats. They share your core values and they get and want to have the capacity to do each of their roles. Start with a meeting pulse, a weekly meeting, get a scorecard, set 90 day rocks. And we just start there and create those disciplines and start moving the team forward. That's interesting is when I first read through it, I was like, oh, more meetings. I was, I give you a kind of history. I come from the tech startup, came from the military and got in the dot-com world. It was surprising. So I got so jaded by meetings that if you called me to a meeting and I looked around the room, I would, at this point, I'm at the director, senior director level, running divisions of the company. And I would show up and they're like, have all these regular weekly meetings. And the first thing I would do is look around every engineer I had in the room, start writing a roster. I have my assistant with me. I trained her on how to do this. And we would send all the managers that hosted these meetings and required us to be there invoices of what that meeting cost the company. So just so that you would know, it's just mm -hmm. an eye opening. Like it was that meeting and then what they're meeting, they're running tally for the week and the quarter and the month and the quarter. When I started reading the book at first, I was like, oh, more meetings. Then I realized how structured the meetings are and it's in and out. Yep. How does EOS differ from the, the only other reason you're talking? Yeah. Go ahead. Other than being a little simpler, how does it compare? Yeah. How does it compare? Uh, actually, no. That's a very valid answer. It's funny. Is I'm interviewing a few other guys on this space. And one of them, I, uh, I kind of found somebody had told me I should read the book. And then I'm diving into your website, EOS's website. And I, it mentions it somewhere on the website, the book there. It was the great game of business, right? Mm -hmm. Having open books and stuff. And I was like, so I've already, I've interviewed those guys. It's not out yet. That's the reason I was going to say, how do they work? I think that EOS is the structure. And then I like the game, great game of business. And the fact that everybody kind of has an open like they got to tie into the financials and the open side of who's doing what and what it, how it impacts the money of the business. So are you familiar with the great game of business? 
I am. In my companies, we use some of the concepts from Great Game of Business alongside of EOS as well. I've had lots of clients who do the same. And EOS doesn't really work if you aren't going to be totally open, honest, and transparent because you got to know the game you're playing. And so from the beginning, from the first day you start implementing EOS, you see the level of transparency. And some clients aren't ready for that yet. They hold back on revenue or they show revenue but not profit. And almost always we win them over time. And so what I really like about the great game of business and I certainly wouldn't consider them an operating system in its totality as I would define it, but the mini games and getting people really juiced around winning is really good. Having some financial acumen, I think is really important because giving people content without creating context for them can be very damaging. If you don't know what a PNL is or how to read it, because most employees think the owner, the entrepreneur has gold bricks in their basements. They just exactly. think they don't, I mean, they don't equate revenue to profit. They don't understand if you're a 10% margin business, that if you get a dollar in revenue, you're putting 10 cents on the bottom line and probably reinvesting all of that. And things like the great game of business or ownership thinking are all very valuable tools. We have an approach here at EOS, which is abundance mindedness and what that really means when you dig down through abundance, it's about human ingenuity and unique ability, God-given talents. And so we don't really think of the world as competitive. We think about it as everyone has their unique ability that they're bringing to the table and we should honor that. They all have their own unique thing and they have their right fit person that they're put on this earth to serve and go for it. Awesome, celebrate it. We're looking at, we've got it implemented or put, what does that do? Where I'm going with is the culture and the environment, right? One of the things yeah. you got to look at when we're acquiring multiple companies is, do I have a culture match? Will the two companies work together as the two environments mm -hmm. and stuff? How does EOS help the culture of a company, change the culture of the company? Let's talk about a little bit about like, how does that play into various, when it's implemented, how does it shift? It can be a dramatic shift or it can be incremental or it can be no change at all. And the reason I say that's really about the intentionality of how that culture was built in the first place. Oftentimes when companies say you buy a company and you, you probably shouldn't be buying a company that doesn't fit your own personal core values because it's always going to be a rub or you're going to have to institute such painful cultural change over a long period of time, you'll want to run full speed into a wall. Like it'll be terrible. Or you'll want to climb Whitney and not get rescued by the helicopter. <laughs> so it's really about the amount of pain that you want. So if you're buying a company, try to buy one that, that fits your core values. Now, if you're merging multiple companies together, we think about it in two ways. There's a cultural fit and strategic fit. So number one, with that cultural fit, do they share, the core, two companies share core values? Are they close enough, 80% similar? Like you might have one that says do the right thing and the other one is have integrity. Well, they're probably similar to one another. And so the way they express them may be different, but the core of them should be very much the same. And then from a cultural perspective, let's say you do have core values match. 
do you have all the right people in the right seat? Jim Collin talks about this in How the Mighty Fall and in other books, it's Packard's Law, which is when you're growing a company fast, you have to be very mindful. You can only grow at the speed in which you can put the right people in the right seats. You can grow faster and then you have to just hire anyone. And so if you're putting two companies that had different growth trajectories or different capabilities and putting right people in the right seat, 80% of your company should be people who share your core values and people who get, want, and have the capacity to do their jobs really, really well. If you have one company that's 80% and the other one that's 20%, you're going to have a hard time doing that integration. I mean, that's what seven or nine out of 10 M&A deals fail. And this is probably the reason why. The next thing we look at is the operating system. Obviously for us, we prefer EOS, but it doesn't really matter. You need to agree on how you're going to run these companies together. If you don't, it's going to be Tower of Babel where people are using acronyms and saying issues when they mean opportunities. And it's, just, it's a time suck. Egos and can you work together? Who's the integrator? So you mentioned implementer versus integrator. Integrator is that number two person. Visionary is the person making it up. They're the big idea person. The integrator is the person who keeps the trains running on time. They're the glue that holds it all together. The, the COO would be the outside title, if you will. And so that's all about culture. And we see huge 180 degree shifts in culture. And then we see incremental because they've already been intentional in the beginning. And so companies that we see that are kind of messy are fast growers. They've hired lots of family members because they're available, <laughs> not necessarily the right fit. It's really was a pulse check hired kind of environment or it's skill only, no homage to cultural fit. And so you have these people who are just out for themselves, highly ego driven. And so we see in the first 18 months of clarifying your vision, clarifying your core values, getting the wrong people off the bus first, then getting the right people on. A lot of people miss that component of what Colin says of getting all the right people on the bus and then deciding where it's going to go. His first thing is actually getting the wrong people off, then get the right people on, then go. So the right bus and the right seat is absolutely critical. Most of, these, mm -hmm. most of the acquisitions for entrepreneurs, most of our listeners, you're going to buy a company and you're going to need to make some shifts. How do you handle it through using EOS or using your privacy management experience? How do you handle the yeah. culture shock to being the guy that comes in and you got to let go or move? Sometimes not even let go. Sometimes if you talk to these guys, they just don't want to do what they're doing now and they're forced to do it because they're the only person who knows to do it. So it's not always wrong button, the wrong seat is that they have to leave the company. It's just like, what seat did that button need to be in? Do you see that true in a lot of cases? Oftentimes. And when you implement a system like EOS, you end up with two core people issues. One, you have the right person in the wrong seat. And the other is that you have the wrong person in the right seat. And of course, then you have the other two, you have right person, right seat, and then wrong person, wrong seat. But they're really those two core issues. And for, in your example, you had a case where someone was the right person in the wrong seat. They shared your core values. They fit your culture like a glove. You loved them. And... And maybe she was doing the admin job perfectly well, but she was not happy. And so she was in the wrong seat. 
she either outgrew it or sometimes that happens the opposite where the seat they're in outgrows them. But in this case, she outgrew the seat. And so if you have an opening in your organization and you don't want to let core values people just walk on the street because that's the harder part to find. And so we, we use a tool called the Delegate and Elevate tool. And so we have them sit and organize their tasks and activities, the things that they love to do and they're great at and things that they're good and like. And the things that they are good at, but they hate, <laughs> they don't like it. And things that they're not good at and they don't like and sort of start to organize their world in a way that they can continuously move into a seat in your organization that lights them up, that unlocks their full potential. The other issue that we see often is you got the wrong person in the right seat. And this is actually a harder thing for a lot of entrepreneurs to let go of, especially if you're growing fast, especially in a labor shortage, especially if you're building a company to sell it and they have some institutional knowledge that goes along with it. And so this person is, they don't fit the culture. They're like a cancer throughout the organization. They're a negative energy suck. Like everyone around them falls in, people start gossiping and all this, there's just huge amount of energy and time wasted, but they're really, really good at their job, or at least you think they're very good at their job. They just crush it. They're the best developer, the best programmer, the best salesperson, whatever it is, but over time, when we work with people, we convince them that is the exact person you need to get rid of first. Like, we'll just use a salesperson. It's probably, they're the top selling salesperson on the team and they're cancer and everywhere they go, they leave a wake of destruction behind them. Are they really the best salesperson? If you add up all the wasted time, effort, energy, and to your point earlier with Lockheed saying, how much does this meeting cost? Well, how does it, how much, let's put the time wasted gossiping about this person, griping, complaining about this person, fighting with this person. Let's put that on their individual P&L. And I guarantee you, they're not the most productive. They're probably the least productive, but on the surface, it looks like they're crushing it, but they're not. And so you got to make those hard choices. If you can't get 80% of your company right people, right seeds, it's just not going to work for you. I think one of the things you didn't bring up or we, you know, I've seen often, a lot of times your number two, three, and four guys will leave because they just don't want to be around that, right? You'll lose good players because they don't want to be around. Yeah. We had a, at another company, we had an Oracle engineer who was just a nightmare to deal with. But he was so good at like big Oracle databases and stuff. And I was told when I was a director level and I was told by the VP, you, you run that entire vision. There's three people here. You can't fire no matter what, right? Our mm -hmm. lead network guy, our lead Oracle guy, and this thing that he had put in over there that he was mentoring. It's like, you got to come before you can do anything to any of those three, you have to come to me. And the Oracle guy was the worst, right? This guy would come in drunk. <laughs> this is a startup environment. We had alcohol on our desk. That was like, so this is excite.com. I showed up to excite.com and the people had liquor cabinets in their desk. And I was a senior director of operations for excite back in the day when excite was head to head with Yahoo. <laughs> anyway, that said, this guy was just this, the same kind of level as the Lockheed guy, but he 
it was a little bit better because he, he only came to meetings where a senior Oracle guy had to be there. And he hung out in his cubicle and did his thing. Unless we broke something, then an outage and he had to get on the call. That's where it was horrible because he just called everybody else. He like he would change the root password to these computer systems, kick everybody else off, fix it, get move everybody out of the way. Not a team player. And it was really dropped in a couple of times. He extended the outage because we needed four or five people doing different things on the system while he was fixing the database. Right. Knowing what I know now, I would have just went to the, I just go to the VP and say, look, I don't care what you say. I'll go hire three, three Oracle admins to take his role. They'll get the stuff he needs done, but we don't have to put up with the attitude and we don't have to be put up with him calling six figure engineers, idiots and locking them out of the system. Right. And those cases are sort of the obvious ones. I think what's more insidious people who are not that in your face, but never are all in and they're never really rowing in the same direction because EOS mm -hmm. ultimately is a system for men and all the arrows pointed in one section and that's where all the magic happens. And, and some people just won't say anything that they'll be sort of, they're not the in your face showing up drunk, but they don't share your core values. Everybody really knows it. And then you start to justify it to yourself that, oh, well, they're not that bad. They're not that disruptive. They are doing okay, but, but they're not doing okay. And but the other thing too, when I said that you, what you tolerate, you endorse, one of the most important things is that the leadership team is right people, right seat. You got to start there. It's one thing for the leadership team to, or the owner, new owner. To, to go in the business and make all these different changes. But if one person on the leadership team is not right person, right seat, and the rest of the organization sees that occurring, well, you've just given them a stamp of approval that if you're a good performer, you can be here and it doesn't really matter. And then they'll be confused when you go and try to enforce it elsewhere and you haven't taken care of it, the leadership team for whatever level, for whatever reason. It could have been ownership or partnership or whatever. It doesn't matter if you're a partner or your owner, everyone has to be right person, right seat, regardless of your status. Put them in the owner's box. <laughs> I do want to make sure we cover some one, one area, mainly because I struggle with it and I know other acquisitions entrepreneurs struggle with it. And that's that mm -hmm. chief operating officer role that I'm going to butcher this. Is it implementer and integrator? I, Integrator, the, uh, integrator, integrator. So integrators integrator. are in your business. The implementer is with the leadership team once a quarter. <laughs> cool. So the integrator walk through your, your concept of how to identify if you're interviewing and you're trying to find that guy, either inside mm -hmm. of the company, when you acquire one, like see if a one that already existed naturally excels at that integrator status. I know there's a test we can give them, but I've given a lot of people that test. Maybe yeah. I'm just surrounded by entrepreneurs, but most people I've given it to have scored way high on the visionary. I was like, I don't need any more of those. I'm semi just joking on that, but yeah. I really need people that are really high on the integration side. And I have yet to find a good source or a good way to identify during an interview process, either at, you know somebody existing inside of the company or interview process, hiring somebody from outside of the company that this is going to be a great person to work with me and to be an integrator. How do you do that? What's that process look like? Not going to sugarcoat this at all. Visionaries outnumber integrators four to one. So the odds are not in your favor. <laughs> if you're an entrepreneur, like the chances of you finding your right fit integrator are quite frankly, pretty low. All right. We can tip the scales in our favor by knowing the right 
good places to look. Okay. So number one, fit with the visionary. And not every organization has both visionary and integrator, two separate seats on their accountability chart. But we like to show it that way because sometimes the visionary can sit in both seats. It's about 5% of the population of visionaries that we know of can do both really well. And as you said, Ron, with you were able to do it sometimes because when a visionary sits in that integrator seat, you got 90 good days, maybe, that you can be a world-class integrator and then, holy smokes, you don't want to do anything with it. You'll just ignore it all and things will go to crap. That's the reality. About visionary integrator fit. And so who's puzzle piece? And that it is that there's multiple Share your core values. Do they, they fit you like a glove, the visionary and the business? So it got to be a core values fit. Do they have a business cycle fit? Because if you're a startup, you need a different type of integrator than if you're a thousand person or a mid-market growth company. It's a different skill set. And some people can do both, but you got to find the right fit for the business cycle. Then you need industry, skill, all those types of things are important as well. Not as critically important. If you're in real estate, as an example, you don't need to go find an integrator who has a ton of real estate experience, but it could help. But they must have the skills. They have to love leadership, management, and holding people accountable. They got to be a world-class manager. Most visionaries like you and I are probably really bad managers, great leaders, not so good on management side because detail oriented and makes you want to just jump off a cliff. You got those, that puzzle piece, that fit, that energy and cadence. When Kelly Knight, my integrator, we operate at the same frequency. And what I mean by that is the level of intensity in which we do work in focused sprints is the same. Because if you got a visionary who's quick burn and then they go for away for five days and then they come back and one day quick burn versus I'm probably a five or six day burn. And then I need to cut off for a day or two and then I'm back at it. She's the same. So you got to have that, that matching in terms of intensity and frequency. I'm a old electrical engineer. The sine wave needs to be matched up the oscillation, the peak and everything else. Then you start to look at where do I go to find this unicorn of a person? Depending on where you are, there's fractional integrators, which can be a really good bridge from everything yourself and a full-time integrator. So they kind of just get the systems and processes. They help you. They own the leadership team, ultimately, that integrator. And so they are helping you design your ideal leadership team so that you can be freed up to do what you do best. And that's ultimately what the integrator's job is. So there's lots of fractional companies out there. We do have a, an online community at rocketfueluniversity.com, which is free visionary integrator training. And then, but the important piece or the most interesting piece for the listener is there's a large group of integrators there <laughs> hanging out who some of them are fractional, some of them are looking for a, a shift. And so that's a good resource to go to. There are integrator recruiting firms that specifically focus in on recruiting integrators. One is Titus Talent. The other one is Keystone Search. They specialize in finding those integrators. Note too that it, it's seasonal. You might be the right fit integrator, visionary integrator duo 
for two years, three years, four years, but then it's time to move on because the business either outgrew one or both of you, or it's just time to move on. It's not like, it's a little bit like a marriage type relationship in terms of same pageness and all the things you have to worry about there, but it comes to an end and it's a logical end. <laughs> Maybe my analogy <clears throat> broke down there, but you got it. <laughs> I got it. That really helps out a lot. I'm going to check out your community, I guess you want to call it, and share that with the different communities I have because we're trained, the guys out there doing acquisition and entrepreneurship, they're trained to buy companies, put systems in, place an operator in, and then get back to doing the mergers and acquisitions and buy the next company, merge it in, right? The way they train at least the three or four mentors, I've interviewed quite a few of them, but most of these guys are like, look, if you really want to be in this game and make serious wealth, you're going to acquire more than one company. So the name of the game is get in, pick great operators. And that's just another way, word for integrator. A great operator has all the skills of that integrator. They get in, the daily stuff happens, the systems and process happen. They can look at the key performance indicators and make sure everybody's on track. And the company does what the company's supposed to when you're out there looking at the next company to acquire and put it in on there. Appreciate the, the resources on that. So let's talk about the mergers and acquisitions space, do you think that a company like having EOS, I mean, for me, it, I think it would makes it more valuable on the exit, right? Because the systems and process are not only just there and are the ironclad, but there's some validity to, we run this based off EOS. And if you don't know EOS, there's a couple of books you can go get and take a look at it. You don't have to figure out, it's that you don't have to go in and spend that 12 to 18 months of kind of just getting to know everybody and figure out why they're doing certain things in a certain way, you can go listen to the audio book and get a pretty good idea how the meeting's going to go when you show up, right? You think there's more value to a company? What's your expectation on valuation of companies? Like, I'll give you a kind of a scope. I guess I asked you a question. You don't know the audience is fully, unless you remember our previous conversation from weeks ago. We buy the companies right under that, yeah, that P&E range where the P&E is not playing. We're, we call them small, the medium businesses, but most of us are acquiring things in just below the radar of private equity with the hopes of mm -hmm. we buying a second one, growing it a little bit and becoming attractive to them because they pay higher multiples than we do, right? That's the name mm -hmm. of the game here. So do you think it makes it more attractive to a, a private equity or a strategic purchaser to have a system like this in place? There is no doubt. And when I was working, I worked with a little over a hundred customers, clients implementing EOS myself, multiple exits in that. And when they were purchased, they were told that they got two or three times multiple more because of implementing EOS. So it's a huge hundred X return on their investment. Really one was a really good, they had an offer. They didn't like the offer. They said, hey, you're missing systems and processes. And we implemented EOS and they had, it was a three times multiple higher than the original offer in nine months. Yes, part of it was getting all the systems, the processes documented and followed by all throughout the organization. And that was great. That was probably, but the real key thing, and as I've said earlier during this conversation, it was about the leadership team. About 50% of the leadership team were, was changed out during that process. And so when they came back, the owner came back with, hey, we think we're ready now. They had a, just a total level up on the leadership team. It went from a okay leadership team, like, okay, they can do it, to, wow, I want to 
work with this leadership team. And now the world of possibilities that we have as a buyer has just been opened up to just whole new levels of value maximization, revenue capture, new products were put into the mix because the leadership team just had this huge capability. It didn't cost them anymore. It was just a different set of humans that had a unique ability to live in that company and share the culture. And so we see this over and over and over again that, and we've all heard the stories, we've all experienced them. When someone goes to, to do a purchase, if you're looking for that next exit and you're going to sell to a PE, the leadership, I mean, the very little is spent on the business. You talk around TAM and all those different types of things and what the business model is and how do we, what's the value creation versus capture? Are there network effects we can take advantage of? All those things. But when it comes down to it, it's they're buying the leadership team and what the possibilities and the capacity. We just see this over and over and over again that people are getting quite a significant bump in their exit value. So you brought up something that was interesting, and I want to dive just a little bit into it. A lot of the guys listening to this show, not a lot, probably a good percentage, 10, 15% of the show's listeners, they own a company. They're looking at that potential of exiting. And maybe their systems and processes are kind of there, but they're not quite there. If they're just now talking about, I think I might sell this pretty soon. They're just now coming to the realization that they're running their accounting wrong and stuff for the last few years because they've been trying to save taxes to really maximize their value. They have a one to three years of changing the way they run taxes, changing the way they do their accounting, cleaning up the thing, and just to really maximize the value. How long from start to finish does the average EOS implementation take? There's lots of factors that determine that the intensity in which the team is focused on implementing the tools. Our typical implementation is 24 months, two years. We start seeing massive results between 12 and 18 months, I would say. You see results and you feel better and you're more focused almost day one, but you don't really, you're not going to see immediate P&L results probably until 12 to 18 months out. The system is designed when you work with an EOS implementer that you graduate within two years. We've taught you everything. It's all about independence versus dependence. And so we just give you everything we've got and you're ready to go on your own after two years. But some clients stay with us forever and some finish earlier. But if I'm one of your listeners and I just got to the company, I'm going to go implement EOS or a system like it, I would have an expectation of around... 18 months to have meaningful P&L results, almost immediate clarity and impact because you got to get the right, the wrong people off, the right people on and get really clear and focused and get used to that discipline. You're creating a habit throughout your organization of execution. And so that takes some time. It depends on your size of company. One of my clients had 7,000 employees. And so it took three years before we could roll out these tools to the entire business. And they started seeing results at around that time frame too, because it something really powerful if you have a hundred people and they're all rowing in the same direction. One of the things that's come up to my mind is I'm a believer that it's often the case. It's the person who starts a company and gets it to the first dollar may not be the same person that takes it from that first dollar of revenue to profitability to be the same guy that takes it from profitability to 10 million 
like there's different skills that's different phases and maybe i'm breaking up too tight there but like to go from zero to a million is one guy and to go above that's another and once you get up into that especially when you cross that 15 to 20 25 million dollar range and you've got large organization type of stuff going on it's a different ceo how often is the wrong button the wrong seat the ceo that reached out and hired you it happens probably 10% of the time and a little bit like there's aggressive growers, I would say that, yep, they're startup visionary, they're startup entrepreneur, and they've done multiple and they just know who they are. I do startups, I take it to 20 people and then I'm out and then they sell it or they put integrator there and they don't really need a visionary because it's a HVAC company or something, or they go and hire a visionary and bring them in. Then there's some that they are such learners and they're learners because you can, a company can grow faster than you can learn. And those are the instances and in where the visionary needs to say, I need some, a new visionary to come in here. And then there's others that they just have an, almost an endless learning capacity and they can take the company from to themselves to thousands of employees. And they do just fine all along the path. About 10% of the time, I would say the visionary is self-aware enough to know who they are and what their limits are, what they're willing to do before they move on. And so I would use EOS Worldwide as an example because Gina Wickman, who is our founder, he started the company along with his business partner, Don Tinney. And the moment we had a, an employee manual, he was done. So we had an employee manual. He's like, I'm out. And so he passed the torch to Mike Payton. Mm -hmm. And Mike Payton was visionary for five years. Gino decides he's going to sell the company. And then Payton, six months later, is like, I'm out because I know who I am. And I know that's not what I want to do. And now I've stepped into that role. And I would pay attention to that story a little bit as well, because Gino, from the beginning, created his role to be able to be passed on to another visionary. Don Tinney, who was his integrator, did the same thing. And so Gino ran it, passed it to Mike Payton, did about a year of overlap, give or take. And oh, yeah, Gino is available to me right now. So is Mike Payton. And so we were mentoring each other along these paths. But... Kelly Knight then took over for Don Tinney, and they plan that five years ahead of time that Don will leave, we'll get a new integrator, what this integrator would look like, what the visionary would look like, and how we pair them together. Now that creates just tremendous value. When you have an organization that is not a cult of personality, which is, you can just pass it along. I'm doing that now. I've and implementers who listen to this are going to be surprised. I've already had conversations with who I believe will be the next visionary of EOS worldwide when that time comes. It's probably five years from now, but I kind of know who it is, what kind of person it will take. And I've already started that process. Tension on, it's sort of like Hydra. <laughs> for more rise up or whatever the exact thing is. And yeah. we never want to be cult of personality, just total succession plan right in place. I've asked a lot of questions on this show and we're getting, we've got some time spent behind us. What should I yeah. ask? Like, what have we missed? Well, I think, and you hit on it right there, which is getting really, really clear about 
your own individual unique ability, God-given talent, and then building your organizations around that. Stay in your lane. You got we lots of books out there, Mastery and by Robert Greene. And really, if you just do one thing and master that and hone that craft, but that requires a certain level of emotional intelligence, if you will, self-awareness to do that. And then apply that concept to the people on the leadership team. So I suppose it's not really a question you didn't ask. It's more about the mindset of when I look at a company, what's the best way to maximize the value so it's scalable and has succession in place? And how do I approach that? And so I think that's really the key as far as I can tell to that. The other thing is, how do I assess a company without knowing much about it? from an EOS perspective. And so we have a, an online tool, it's free, it's called organizationalcheckup.com. So organizationalcheckup.com, it's 20 questions. And if you have the current owner or the leadership team member or all of them answer those 20 questions, it'll give you the results of where they are in the organization in terms of systems and processes and all that. And it will give you some guidance around what you need to do next to strengthen those areas of the business that need some help. And so that's a great diagnostic tool that you can use right out of the gate while you're doing those assessments of the 20 marketing companies or whatever it is. <laughs> Let's do that real quick. We're running out of time. So what are the other resources? Mm -hmm. You're talking about that organizational checkup. What other resources are out there? How do people implement this? What resources have you guys created to make this work for them? Yeah. So there's the Rocket Fuel University, which is a free online training. That's all about the visionary and integrator relationship. Of course, we have the six books in the Traction Library, which are Traction, which is the total system. There's Get a Grip, which is sort of the implementation story and give you an idea of what order in which to implement these things. Then there is Rocket Fuel, which is, again, about the visionary integrated relationship. There's How to Be a Great Boss for all your mid-managers. So that's another key piece that's value creation, that every one of your people who manages another human, they really need to learn how to become a great boss. And so that's a great resource. The list is pretty long here. Then we have the, the book, which is What the Heck is EOS, which is the primer, which is for every employee in the organization. Then the other books are the EOS Life, because we've noticed the strategic byproduct of implementing EOS is you get to live this life where you're doing what you love with people you love, making a huge difference, being compensated appropriately, and having time to pursue other passions. And so that's what that book is. And then the newest book is Process, which is a deep dive into that process component. So if you want to create systems and processes, again, adding tremendous value to the organization, repeatability or franchise prototype, that's a deep dive into that component as well. So those books are available where any books are sold, <laughs> pretty much. And our website's eosworldwide.com. There's lots of free resources and tools you can download. There's 20, 25 tools that can just go and download. If we also have our beta software, which is for an execution tool, and we have licensed partners, 90.io, that you can sign up for and track your to-dos and your VTO and do all those things. And those are all good resources. We do as much as we can to help as many people as we can. 
What would an operating system be without operating manuals, right? So you got a six book separating <laughs> manuals, right? Yeah, no, that's I, right. I get, so I want to appreciate you, or I want to say I appreciate you having you on the show today. Is there any any finishing things you want to say? If like if somebody could only remember one or two things from the show, what would it be? That would be a great one to finish up with. What would be your key takeaway? Build a great leadership team. Build a great leadership team. Those would be my top two things that you can take to the bank. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll end with that. So build a great leadership team. Thank you for being on the show. Hang out for a few seconds and we'll call that the show, guys. Thank you for being on. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business, you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now